Good day, boys and girls and parents. This is Father Mark Moriarty. I'm here with Deacon Nathan Allen and Father McConville. We are very glad to be with you virtually again, although we much prefer to be with you in person. We today uh, will start with prayer, uh, but we're going to be doing Q&A. Some of you submitted some questions, and we also have some questions that I've collected over the years as well. Let's start with a prayer. It is May 13th, Our Lady of Fatima. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's say the Fatima prayer. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those who are most need of thy mercy. We ask in a special way, too, that the Holy Spirit will enlighten Father McConville, Deacon Allen, and myself, and that all of you will keep questioning uh, in a very open way God's plan for you. May you always be open to whatever he wants, and may you always be searching for the truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So we're going to start out with some questions. Uh, Deacon, you have the first question about the colors. Well, there's a question about uh, liturgical colors. Where do they come from? And uh, uh, I suppose what they mean. Um, and you'll note different times during the year, we wear different colored vestments. Right now, we're in the Easter season, and so we're generally wearing white. Um, the colors, you know, it started out really as something simple. You got black and you got white, you know. Uh, but uh, other colors uh, are, are di were different throughout the different parts of the world, depending on what kind of materials were available for making the different colors of dye. Um, and different cultures have different, colors have different meanings. I know, for example, uh, I grew up in Japan, and red is a girl's color in Japan. Boys would never wear red. Um, here, not so much, you know, uh, we have pink and blue and that doesn't have the same meaning in Japan. And in Japan, for example, the color for like a funeral is white. We think of white as a rejoicing color. So there are some differences from culture to culture. But in terms of our uh, liturgical practice here in, in, uh, uh, in the West, in the, in the Latin rite or Roman rite of the Catholic Church, our colors have different meanings. White is a rejoicing color. And so that's why we're wearing it during Easter. That's why we wear it on the Feast of Saints who aren't martyrs. Talking about martyrs, red, because martyrs died for the faith. And red is the color of blood. It's also the color of fire. And that's why we use it uh, on Pentecost Sunday. Because if you remember in the, in the Acts of the Apostles, when the Holy Spirit descends on the people... Uh, he, it's like tongues of fire uh, that come down. So we'll see that in our pictures. And red is also used for uh, Good Friday, uh, for our, you know, which was the day our Lord died, um, and on and on Palm Sunday because that kind of brings us into Holy Week. Um, purple. We use purple during the two penitential or preparation seasons. We've got Advent leading into. Christmas and we've got Lent leading into Easter and it's just a darker somber kind of color it's not you know it it, 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 it kind of calms us down colors do that you know you can see a picture of somebody this exact same picture and wearing a blue dress or wearing a red dress and you have a different feeling about it right 
right? Even though, and, and, and so the same thing with purple as kind of a solemn color. Um, green, green's the color of growing grass and trees that are in leaf and everything. So that's, that's what we use through most of the year because it represents the life of Christ that flows through us and, and uh, fills us with, with, uh, um, uh, uh, with joy and, and, and excitement and makes us fruitful as we, as we live our Christian life. But again, all of these colors, uh, they, they kind of solidified in the Western church you know, centuries ago in the Middle Ages, but there were a lot of regional differences. And in other uh, um, liturgical traditions, like the Byzantine church was the Eastern churches, they have slightly different colors. So they wear blood red on, on, uh, uh, on Sundays in Lent, for example, and they wear black on weekdays in Lent. So it's just, there are some of these differences, um, but part of it is just the reason why we have the different colors is to give kind of a, a visual sense to the differences between the different days in the season. Thank you very much, Deacon. I have the uh, next question dealing with Adam and Eve and who would the sons of Adam and Eve have married? Now let's first start with what is the purpose of family life? Family life is to help us to grow in holiness to cooperate, that means to work with others, to get along with them, to um, grow in patience and understanding. So first and foremost, it is our uh, tradition that we do not marry our brother or sister. However, obviously, you know, that would be, first off, it would be strange, but it is something that would have been different for Adam and Eve because of Adam and Eve started all of humanity. We believe that we all descended from Adam and Eve and inherited original sin through them. However, let's not forget that they lived for hundreds of years, 900 years old, and they would not have aged like we do. So in other words, their hundred would probably be like our mid-30s, the prime of life. Well, they would have had many children, and they did, in fact, have many children. Even though we only hear of a few of their children, nonetheless, they would have had many children, sometimes way more than even the biggest families. In my family, obviously, we had eight kids, so we had separate bedrooms. Imagine a family that's so large, you would have to have separate homes, separate dwelling places. And more than likely, just as in my family, we had a bedroom for the girls and two bedrooms for the boys, you probably have completely separate dwelling places if you had a huge family. It seems as if Adam and Eve started by having boys, and then it appears that they had some girls later on, but they would probably have lived separately. And that does mean that they did eventually, brothers and sisters married, in the first generation or so of humanity. But it would not have been as strange or weird or uncomfortable because they were not literally living together. So they, it wasn't as if they were living as brother and sister. They weren't in daily communication with each other. And so that kind of weirdness of marrying your sister, it again would not have presented a problem at the beginning. That's not something we do not do at all, at all today. Um, but again, a very good question, and that is very often something that's, that gets asked uh, every few years or so. 
and Father McConville. Well, I've got two questions that are art-related, and so I think I'll tackle them both because they both can be dealt with fairly simply. The first one is looking at the Stations of the Cross, um, the depictions of our Lord with his hands, especially on the crucifix, his fingers pointing down. And what does that uh, signify? Well, as I, I looked at several uh, pictures of the crucifixion and see that our Lord's hands are in a number of different poses, some uh, looking like the agony of his death, his hands almost like claws, just the fingers stretched out in all directions. Um, others, uh, his hands are just simply fingers uh, next to each other. But one pose that uh, you see, especially in, in, uh, on crucifixes, more recent ones, is that our Lord's uh, right hand, especially, sometimes both, um, is in the shape of uh, like my hand would be when I'm giving a blessing. That is, my index finger and middle finger is extended and uh, the other two fingers curled inward. So, uh, and uh, there's actually modifications of that thing. It's hard to describe without showing you, but uh, it's a sign of blessing. And so, of course, we recognize as our Lord died upon the cross, he's freeing us from uh, the bonds of original sin. So there it is, the uh, uh, sort of the hand raised in absolution, uh, just like the priest would uh, do over the penitent. Um, but I've also seen, um, uh, like I say, the, uh, the hands uh, portrayed in different ways. Uh, really, the idea is that the, the artist is trying to um, speak to us in a way that maybe uh, gets our hearts moved to see, again, to think about uh, forgiveness. So we see uh, our Lord's hands uh, raised in, in blessing upon the cross, or maybe to think about the pain and suffering he underwent for love of us. So his hands looking more, uh, like I say, more like uh, they're stretched out in pain. Uh, but whatever it is, it's all meant, uh, the art is meant to, uh, to make our hearts move so that we grow in greater love and devotion. The other question had to do with John the Baptist. Um, we, uh, if we look at the scriptures and we do the math, we realize that he's, uh, he was about six months older than uh, our Lord. Yet in art, he's often depicted as quite a bit older, almost like a teenager uh, with the infant Christ. And uh, so what's that all about? Well, again, artists uh, are trying to to get, uh, get us to feel something or to, uh, to make our minds turn to other thoughts. But there's also a, a, a tradition that uh, John the Baptist, if we read in St. Luke's Gospel, it says he grew up in the wilderness uh, until the time our Lord was uh, baptized. And um, so there's the tradition that he actually grew up in the woods. Uh, well, wilderness, more the desert, but still the idea was that he was um, not in a nice, uh, comfy house in the city. Um, so as a result, I suppose he needed to be a little more rugged, uh, he, uh, a little more robust to do that sort of thing. But again, the idea is that um, our Lord and John the Baptist, while related to each other, there is some questions about whether or not um, how much they knew each other growing up. Um, there's one tradition that when the Holy Family returned from Egypt after they fled there uh, during the persecution of Herod, they actually um, uh, bumped into uh, John the Baptist there in the desert. Um, there's, in fact, there's even an icon 
that exists depicting that scene as the Holy Family is returning uh, to Nazareth. Um, so uh, again, why the, uh, the age difference? Well, again, that's really the artist's attempt to, to try to, uh, to make some, uh, some points, uh, but certainly uh, it's not uh, meant to be understood as divine revelation. Very good. We're gonna have, we have some other questions that we've collected, and we have uh, about eight to ten minutes for that. Deacon, do you want to start with one of them? Yeah, let's take a, a, a nice short one. There's a question. Did Jesus have a last name? Well, you know, last names are a very recent kind of thing in, in, uh, in our Western culture. A lot of, you know, throughout most of the Middle Ages, people would have used uh, a, a name. They would have just been known by their father's name. And we see that reflected, for example, in a lot of names from Scandinavian names like Peterson is Peter's son, right? Anderson would be Andrew's son. And uh, even today in Iceland, the country of Iceland, they still do that. So you, you would have your father, I knew somebody who was named Kolbein Kolbeinson, and his father's name was Kolbein, you know, uh, and he married someone whose last name was August's daughter, because she was August, August's daughter. Um, but uh, uh, so in that sense, he didn't. I mean, he was known as the son of Joseph, because Joseph was his foster father, his adoptive father. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, so he didn't have a last name the way we do. Christ is not Jesus Christ like he's, oh, Mr. Christ. Uh, no, it, it, uh, but he's, uh, uh, um, so he, he, he would have been known as Jesus bar Joseph in, in, uh, in Aramaic, son of Joseph. Excellent. I have a great question um, dealing with confession. So imagine this scenario. If you were confessing someone and they admitted that they are uh, on the FBI's most wanted terrorist list, could you report them? The answer is no. If somebody is confessing that they are a terrorist, as long as they're sorry, I can forgive them their sins. They have to be a Christian as well. But I cannot break the seal of confession, even if someone is telling me what they're going to do. Now, you can't obtain forgiveness for something that you haven't done and that you are still intending to do. Uh, but nonetheless, they would still be considered under the seal of the confessional, and I could not reveal. Some might wonder, well, Father, that just is ridiculous. You should stop a crime from happening. Think of it this way. I have an opportunity to stop it by not forcing it to happen, but by being able to convince the individual, don't do that, or turn yourself in. At least they're telling someone of what they want to do, and that just getting it off their chest and having somebody else confront them can help them to not do something wrong. So again, I can't break the seal of the confessional. I cannot identify a sin and a sinner. What I can do is I can ask another priest, what should I have done in this situation? But I cannot identify who that person is. Because sometimes I need to have help, like, oh, what advice should I have given? That's the only thing I can do is, in a general way, say, what advice should I give to someone should they mention a particular kind of a sin? Next is Father McConville. All right. And then I had uh, one question that was given. Uh, what do you do when you aren't saying Mass? Um, well, one thing is uh, answering questions from family catechesis students. Um, although that doesn't take a whole lot of time. Um, no, of course. I mean, there, uh, 
you know, what is the, what's the daily routine for a priest? There's a lot of things. Uh, certainly there's uh, other, I mean, if I'm well preparing to give talks, so I have to do some reading, uh, make some notes like my homilies on Sunday, I have to um, prepare for those. Uh, there's often uh, people who have special situations. They're preparing for a sacrament, like getting married. They have a, an appointment coming up uh, this week uh, to uh, work with a couple for that. So there's something. Or uh, people die, so a family wants to gather to talk about the funeral ceremony, you know, the mass and all. Um, so, so we have the sacramental things. There's homebound people. In fact, I got a couple of calls I have to make this week uh, as well to... Uh, to visit those who are sick. And of course, now with COVID, it's a little more of a challenge, but that doesn't uh, mean people don't need God's grace. So a little more preparation, but still nevertheless an important ministry. And of course, the person's got to eat and the person's got to have a little time for recreation. I've got a great big empty school building right now that I can walk around. And uh, it's kind of fun. Unfortunately, they took all the art off the wall. So I don't have my little walking art gallery like I used to have uh, at the beginning of all this. But nevertheless, um, it's when I'm not uh, saying Mass, I'm doing things to prepare for, in, in short, to help other people uh, with their spiritual journey and, of course, just taking care of myself. Very good. Deacon, your turn. Yeah, I've got uh, an interesting one here. What's it like in a non-Catholic church? And, uh, you know, some of you know I, I was not raised Catholic, so I suppose I can answer this one uh, well. It really depends on which kind of non-Catholic church you're in. Some, some non-Catholic churches, like especially the, our Eastern brothers and sisters, the Eastern Orthodox churches, their divine liturgy is going to be, in a lot of ways, very much like ours, and they do have all the sacraments that we do. There are others, like the Anglican or Episcopalian church, that looks an awful lot like what we do. Um, they maintained a lot of our of the similar ceremony, and the same thing with the Lutheran church. But when you get to some of the other churches, like uh, the evangelical Protestant churches, like Baptists and so forth, a lot of times their service is, is divided in two halves. You know, where ours is divided in the Liturgy of the Word, where we read from the Bible and we hear a homily, and then we have the Liturgy of the Eucharist, they will typically start off with what they call a worship time where they're singing songs that are very um, much uh, often you know, try to get you into a mood of, of uh, emotional uh, mood of, of worshiping God. And then there's what's called the message, which you think my homilies are long at seven, eight, nine, ten, sometimes a little bit longer minutes. Sometimes a little bit longer. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, the, the, uh, the typical evangelical pastor's sermon is going to run for half an hour and 45 minutes. Now, sometimes I envy them that because then you really, if you do it well, you can really get into something really deeply. But let's be honest, we're human beings and often we don't do these things well. So anyway, but that, that's, that's, uh, um, uh, that's how uh, uh, it might differ from different, different groups of non-Catholic uh, Christians will do di different things differently. Some groups, like the, what are called the charismatic or Pentecostal type churches, You'll, there'll be some wild stuff going on with uh, speaking in tongues with people babbling. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, so it, it, it can be, it really runs the gamut depending on which kind of non-Catholic Christian church uh, you happen to be visiting. But in short, um, 
what you can always guarantee with the Catholic faith is that obviously we are worshiping God in spirit and truth. And of course, what we have uh, that they don't have is uh, the true presence of Jesus Christ. But as Deacon said, the Eastern churches will have, the Eastern Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, they have the sacrament. So Jesus is really there because they have the priests. Anglicans and Lutherans do not have the priesthood. I've got a quick question about... Um, Uh, let's see. Why can't we hear God when we pray? There are different ways of hearing. There is the kind of hearing that you're using right now to listen to me and to Deacon and to Father McConville. You are using your ears to hear. But there is another hearing, a hearing that is within the heart, a hearing that um, you can you can really only experience. You can't quite teach other people, but it's a kind of a hearing that is not so audible, but a sense of God giving you sometimes some words, giving you uh, a very strong, not just feeling, but a strong conviction of something. Sometimes God answers prayers with that audible sound that actually can happen. Sometimes it is a sound that's heard <clears throat> that's heard within your heart. Sometimes they are just prayers that come up from your heart. Sometimes it's a scripture verse. For example, um, it might be a particular, let me tell you the story of St. Augustine, who one day was wrestling with what he was going to do in life. And he heard some children uh, doing this weird kind of almost chant style thing, uh, tolo lege. Uh, which is the com uh, the command versions of take, read, take, read, tolo, lege. He said they were like a sing-song voice. And he was inspired. Notice he was listening to children, but he thought that might be a message from God. He opened up scripture and he found the verse that said, put aside all licentiousness, all this, all that, all the sins he was doing. And he closed the book and he realized that was God talking to him. So God can speak in many ways. Uh, what's very common uh, for me, it'll be a scripture verse that hits me in an amazing way in my divine office. I'm just going to ask the other two clerics, any other ways in which God, we can hear his message besides what I've said? Well, I often find it in, you were talking about the children, their sing song uh, back and forth. I often find it just in observations that other people uh make they say that they've experienced something and and then i immediately it just makes me think of things in my own life and i do and i i started by asking the question lord is this teaching me something it's 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 significant to me but what you know it, but it feels like there's something more so it's kind of a tug on my heart to to try to uh, go a little deeper you know, and in this Easter season, uh, there is one of the Gospels that we hear about where our Lord uh, appears to the people, to, to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and, uh, and he talks to them, and they don't recognize him until long afterwards, when, he, when he's, when he's uh, uh, actually talked to them on the road, and then they go in, and they have dinner, and he breaks bread, and then, then they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. And so often in our lives, you know, something will happen or, uh, or, or something, you know, and we, and then it's only afterwards we realize that was the Lord. 
he was present with us and uh, and 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 touched us in some way that we didn't recognize at the time, but then when we look back on it, we see it. So you know we and he comes to us in so many ways. He can come to different people in different ways at different points in their life. You know maybe uh, maybe a particular piece of art will speak to you, and you can meditate on art. And there's a way of praying where you would look at you know icons, religious pictures, and and ask God to 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 uh, teach you something. And different people will see different things in those pictures from that you know different things are that are in the picture that that have a different meaning to them. So, you know, um, we don't often hear voices. Sometimes you do, but, but uh, God will speak to us in many ways. And sometimes we won't recognize it at the time, but we'll remember, we'll recognize it later. We're going to end today with a wonderful uh, question uh, that each one of us will say, or will answer rather, what is your favorite food? Deacon? You know, it really differs from day to day, but you know what? Right now, what I really want for lunch is chili. <laughs> because it's just so comforting and, and warm, and, you know, it just is a, 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 a tasty thing to eat. Wonderful. Usually, for me, my favorite kind of food is called pork. <laughs> uh, I love various forms of pork. Bacon, for example. It could be thin-cut could be thin cut, doesn't matter. I love pork chops. I love pork loin. Just last night, I don't know if Father McConville heard me, but I had dinner late last night and I uh, flattened out the pork loins and made them into kind of schnitzels. Um, that was a lot of fun and I kind of breaded one of them and, and cooked it up. Uh, but I also like dumplings, potato dumplings, which are made with both potatoes and breadcrumbs and also uh, sauerkraut. So pork chops, sauerkraut, dumplings are some of my favorites. Well, you mentioned sauerkraut. That uh, puts me in one of my favorite. Um, I had a parishioner when I was a pastor in Shakopee who would always make an autumn German meal, and she would cook up some wonderful back ribs, some pork ribs on a bed of sauerkraut, and uh, those would just be just fall apart tender. Then she made homemade spätzle, which is a, a kind of a dumpling, a noodle. It's just egg and, and oh, it's just delicious. And then she'd slather it with butter. Um, although it's an, it was an autumn meal, she would also throw in some asparagus, which is really a spring vegetable, but you can get most things all year round. And that was, um, she'd invite me over to her house and the house would just smell of the, the sauerkraut and pork, which was wonderful. And then uh, we'd proceed to play about, a thousand games of cribbage. So very fond memories whenever I have my little German fall meal. Thank you, everyone. And uh, let's end with a Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.